0: Um, The song is called Lift Your Head, Weary Sinner, and it starts out, Lift your head, weary sinner, the river's just ahead, down the path of forgiveness, salvation's waiting there. You build a mighty fortress, 10,000 burdens high. Love is here to lift you up, here to lift you high. And then the chorus, if you're lost and wandering, come stumbling in like a prodigal child. Let the walls start crumbling and let the gates of glory open wide. And the second verse, and these are the verses that really, really stuck with, with Ashley and I as we were praying over doing this skit. All who've strayed and walked away, unspeakable things you've done. Fix your eyes on the mountain, let the past be dead and gone. Come all saints and sinners, you can't outrun God. Whatever you've done can't overcome the power of the blood. That song... When you first hear it's it not something that you would normally associate with the Revolve dance team at all. Um, but it really spoke to me. Um, first of all, it's, it's kind of hard finding things that you know we can keep the young men engaged in. Um, so we have to kind of change it up a little bit. But as I was really listening to the words of the song and really praying over it, I want you to understand, it kept resonating with me. Come all you saints and sinners. It, it, it put us together in the same category. Okay, it put us together in the same category. You can't outrun God. No matter what you've done, can't overcome the power of the blood. Um, you know, I kept, I kept seeing the church, um, and this is not meant to, in any way, shape, or form, appear to be coming down on anybody. It, it's, it's not for that. It, it's, it's for us as a whole to understand um, and I'm just going to jump right into the scripture that, that that kept coming to me as I was praying over this. And I'm hoping that that what, what I saw will, will make sense to you. I'm going to be reading probably some of the most well-known scripture. I, I, it's not very deep. I haven't dunk, dug real deep into the word. Because I think that the point that we were trying to get across through these skits is, is very, very, very basic. It's very open for everybody. So I'm going to start out with Genesis 1, and I'm going to be reading Genesis 1 through 31. In the beginning, God created... And I'm sorry, this is the ESV version. God created the heavens and earth. The earth was, with, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. In which is their seed, each according to its kind, and on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and the trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate that day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for the days and years, and let them be light in the expanses of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give them light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was heaven, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm in with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kinds. I want, I want to point that out one more time because that really is imperative to where my message is going. Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Fruit, you shall have them for food, and to them every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. That's a lot of scripture. And I'm sorry that I was just reading, but I I really wanted to to make a point there. Um, God created everything that 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 is what that boils down to in in, in the simplest form is that the very beginning of the scripture is telling how God created the earth that we are living in right now um, he and, and 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 directly from his word it says, God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good now that's straight out of the scripture that is that that is the word from the Lord um now we're going to jump ahead a few scriptures though okay. So I want you to have in your mind here the, the the image of this perfect place that God has created okay but we 're going to jump ahead to Genesis three one through thirteen <coughs> excuse me and now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made now I, let me let me jump back to, to where I started and, and the point that i that I wanted to make remember that it clearly said that, that God created the beasts and he created all of the things that crept on the earth. Okay? So now now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, "'Where are you?' And he said, "'I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and hid myself.'" He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So as I was praying over this dance, um, I got to thinking to myself, um, how, did, how, how did evil get to be in the garden? How did the, the, this beautiful world that God had created, everything that he had blessed and ordained, how did this evil get to be in the Garden of Eden? You know, I, I just, I could not wrap my mind around that. Um, and I felt very strongly that, that the Lord wanted me to speak today about spiritual warfare. So that's where, where we're at with this, is, is this, this war that's going on around us all the time. And so I was like, you know, well, let's start at the very beginning, Let's figure out where this evil came from, okay? So I was trying to do a little bit of research, and and I am in no way, shape, or form Brother Willie or Jesse, who happen to sit. That makes it very easy because I don't have to search you out. I am no way a Bible scholar scholar like the two of you. So um, y'all bear with me, and please, if I'm wrong, y'all step in. Um, So I got to looking a little bit, and I was looking in some notes, and I'm just going to read you some of the stuff that I found, and and I hope y'all are okay with me reading. (laughs) Um, The speaking serpent is suddenly introduced in the story with minimal detail. Nothing is mentioned about its origin other than it is one of the beasts of the fields, which, again, let me go back to the scripture that I initially read, the beasts of the fields, which were created by God, okay? Okay and that is in his word, all right? So nothing is mentioned about its origin other than it is one of the beasts of the field. Although the serpent is eventually portrayed as God's enemy, the initial introduction is full of ambigu— ambu- I can never say that word. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Regarding its true nature. <laughs> when the brief comment that it is the craftiness of the beast possibly indicates potential danger, I found this interesting. The Hebrew term arum and that's A-R-U-M, does not carry the negative moral connotation that the English words crafty and cunning do. So the Hebrew word initially did not have the same tone as what our translation has. Similarly, the serpent's initial question may have sounded quite innocent, although it deliberately misquotes God as saying that the couple must not eat of any tree in the garden. So did you catch that? It deliberately misquoted God. So that is the first indication that that the serpent, although it's innocent enough in its question, is actually going against the word of God. Did the serpent merely just misunderstand what God had said? Is this ways of subtlety that the serpent's approach to the woman is captured by the narrator, narrator? It is noteworthy that the serpent also deliberately avoids using God's personal name or Lord, when, it, when he addresses the woman. Here's another hint that he, his presence in the garden presents a possible threat. Although his initial words appear deceptively innocent, his subsequent contradiction of God leaves no doubt about his motives and purpose. The text does not indicate when or how the serpent became evil. As the narrator proceeds, it becomes clear that more than a simple snake is at work here. An evil power is using the snake. Let me say that again. An evil power is using, and that's the word I want you to focus on, using the snake. As indicated by God's declaration that everything he made was very good. Okay? So in the beginning, the scripture that I read initially, God has ordained and blessed everything. He has said it is good. So the fact is the evil presence is simply using the snake. Okay? Clearly evil entered the created world at some unknown point after God's work of creation was completed. Um, Let me read that again. Evil entered the created world at some unknown point after God's work of creation was completed. Um, I feel at times that it's easy for us to remove ourselves from the greatness of that scripture. Okay, it's very easy for us to separate from the creation of the world. Okay, it's, a, it's, it's what we read, it's what we believe, but we get bogged down with day-to-day life. Okay, and we're focused on going to work, and we're focused on going to school, and we're focused on going to church. Okay, but my, what, what I want to get across to you is just as evil entered that perfect created world, it'll enter those places as well very, very quickly, it will enter those places as well. And we need to understand that, and we need to stay diligent against that, okay? There are obvious evils of the world, hands down. I mean, they're the things that you know right off the bat. You have people coming in that are addicted to drugs. You have people coming in that are drinking. You have people that come into school, and they're trying to give your kids drugs and and alcohol um austin i'm I'm going to tell on you i hope it's okay my son came home uh the probably the first couple of months after he went to the sixth grade and almost caused his father and i to have a heart attack because he tells us mom somebody somebody was trying to give me some oxycodone i don't know what it was but something someone had tried to give my kid oxycodone at school in the sixth grade Okay? And I just thank the Lord that He was open enough to come to us and tell us that so that we could talk to Him and work with Him about it. But the thing is, we have to understand that not only is it the obvious evils that enter the world, but it's the less than obvious evils. Okay? It's how the devil uses us. And I can assure you, He uses us, whether we want to admit it or not. Okay? And I'm gonna tell a story here in just a minute um, about that. Um, remember in the notes that it becomes clear that more than a simple snake is at work here. An evil power is using the snake. And these are some questions that I want you to think about. How many times have we been like that snake? Just an innocent vessel that have been used by evil to sow seeds of discord, to knock one another down, to cause one another to stumble. Even though it was very innocent, very innocently enough, okay? He loves to knock us down. But when he's, when, he's, when he's placed with the power of God, or as the song says, the power of the blood, he has no hold on us. And we need to understand that. Thank you. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in here a little bit, and I'm going to ask you a question. Don't you just hate it when the devil uses you? Don't you just hate it when the devil uses you? It makes me mad. It makes me very angry. When something happens and you just realize that the devil used you to knock somebody else down, doesn't it make you piping mad? Where's Pastor Ken? Did he step out? Is he gone somewhere? Okay. All right, well, I'm going to talk about him. That's good. I'll be talking about him behind his back. (laughs) Okay. Um, This was actually a couple of years ago. Kenan actually didn't even remember this instance, so I'm going to tell a little story here about myself and how the devil used me. And it made me mad. And every time I think about this kind of scripture, that's what comes to mind. Um, We had just finished with a couple's retreat. I mean, a couple's meal over here. Sandy, I don't know if you remember this or not. Um, But it was several of us here. Ken and myself, Sandy, um, Ken, Charlie was here. Ashley was still here. There were several of us. Megan was here. Um, Several of us here. We were finishing up. We were cleaning up and everything. And... Um, y 'all know that I do the church secretary and treasurer clerk work and stuff, so a lot of people will ask me questions, and a lot of times i don 't have the answers for them whereas summer 's not here today she'll she 'll understand Miss Francis would know what I was talking about too. Um, a lot of times they ask me questions that I simply just don 't have the answers for and i 'm like, well, give me a, a day or two, let me check with pastor ken i 'll get the answer, and we'll we 'll figure it out okay so someone had asked me a question, and they wanted me to ask Pastor Ken how They wanted something, how how we as the church collectively wanted something handled, um, something very minor, very minor, very, very, very minor. I want to point that out. Um, And so I said, you know what? Hey, no worries. I'll I'll ask Pastor Ken. I'm going to see him tonight at the couple's thing, and and I'll ask him, and, and I'll get an answer to you. Well, what I didn't realize, though, was that simple question started a domino effect of things that had happened way outside of my knowledge and understanding, because there had been other questions that had been brought to Pastor Ken about a similar situation, not once, not twice, but about three different times, all at the same time, okay? So then when I got asked the question, I was the icing on the cake that pushed Pastor Ken just that one step too far, just that one step too far. And as soon as it was out of my mouth, as soon as I saw the look of defeat on his face, I knew then, that the devil had set up this whole scenario to play out exactly like he wanted. Completely innocent on my part. I did not know. And I can honestly tell you that the person that asked me to ask the question, I feel very confident in saying they didn't know either. Okay? But the devil had set up the entire scene to play out the way he wanted it to go. But I do want to point out and I want to say that after that look of defeat came on Pastor Ken's face... We gathered, and we rallied, and we prayed. And I don't know if Brother Eddie's not here. I don't even know if he remembers this because we were out at the pavilion, and it was pitch black. There were no lights on out there or anything. People probably thought we really were the cult church chanting out here in the back because there were no lights on or anything. And we were out there, and we were just raising the roof with prayer. Um, But, you know, that is just one of the examples that comes to mind every time I think about being used by the devil. Okay, and how he will set us up. Um, now, my parents are back there. Y'all can't call me the devil like y'all like to do, though. They say that I'm, they say the devil uses me all the time. But um, anyway, so I just, you know, that is one example. And I'm going to tell you, it makes, me, it makes me mad. It makes me piping mad to know that even though we are innocent in the actions, the devil plays with us. And he manipulates the situation, and he puts us in places that he wants us to be to cause the most damage. To cause the most damage. Danny, I can come into you one day, and I can say one word, just an innocent word, not knowing the whole week that you've had that causes you to stumble like that. I don't know it, but the devil does. I don't know it, but the devil does. Same goes for any of us, okay? All right, so... My question is, and and, and again, I go back to how did the devil, how did the enemy get in the garden, okay? Well, the the answer to that is, and I'm not going to go all the way into Job or anything, but how many of y'all are familiar with the book of Job? Hopefully most of you, okay? There There is scripture of the conversation between the Lord and between the devil, okay? Where the devil has asked the Lord, can I knock him down? Can I knock Job down? I want to see if he continues to stay faithful. I want to see if he continues to follow you, okay? And the Lord says, yes, but don't kill him. Don't go that far, okay? Because he wanted to see how much Job was able to withstand before he fully was just at his rock bottom, and Job never faltered, okay? Never faltered. So as we're... We're, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I think that for myself, that's the answer that I was seeking as I prayed over this, is, Lord, how did the enemy, how did the enemy come to be in this beautiful garden that you have created? And the answer was, I allowed it. I allowed it. Okay? Now, we're not going to get into the topics of free will or anything like that because we would be here, you know, forever in a day, but that was the answer that I received, for myself. Okay. So I encourage you to pray over that, but we're going to jump ahead a little bit because now we know that the enemy is in this place. And I'm just going to flat out say it. The enemy is in this place, in this church, just like he is anywhere else. I have, as uh, my husband and I, as Charlie has said, as the youth leaders of this church, seen and been angrier at the devil in the last year than I've ever been in my life as I watch him knock these kids down. As I watch him knock these young people down often and repeatedly and over and over and over again, they will gain victory over something. And in a matter of a week, right down, right down on the ground again. And so, how do we protect ourselves? How do we overcome this? Ability of uh, not the ability, but but this this persecution this this enemy that is waiting to knock us down And every one of you in this church, I know knows these scriptures So this is nothing new for you Um, so i'm going to be reading what paul wrote the church in ephesus in ephesians six ten through 18 I know you all know this Finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of god That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil Whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, this is important we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, that's 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 scripture right there spiritual warfare. Things that you don't even know are going on around you all the time. Okay? Uh, Where was that? Let's see. Um, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Okay, Paul reiterates to the church to stand in the face of dreaded spiritual enemies because the Lord has not left his people defenseless. We are not defenseless, we are able to overcome this spiritual warfare. We have the tools that we need. If we know what they are and we know how to use them, okay, they had the complete armor of God from head to foot, which consisted of the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, okay, these are metaphors, listen closely, for the spiritual resources given to them, namely the truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. These are aspects of God's and the Messiah's own character which work with which Christians are now equipped. So I got to look in, and I want to tell you what I found as I dug a little bit deeper into each one of these words, okay? We have the necessary tools, the truth, the truth. The truth is taught in the Christian religion, respecting God and the execution of his purpose through Christ, respecting the duties of man, opposing alike the superstitions of the Gentiles and the inventions of the Jews and the corrupt opinions and perceptions of false teachings even among Christians. The truth as taught in the Christian religion to respect God and execute his purpose. That is the truth. That is the truth. You have to have that respect for the creator, the one who created the world, and try to remove yourself from your individual little place of worship or, you know, your school or your job, the things that we get bogged down with on a day-to-day basis, and have respect for the most powerful God that created everything from the beginning, okay? Righteousness, that is integrity, virtue, purity of light, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. I love that correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting, okay? So it starts with a respect for God, and then it moves in to how you act, and how you feel, and how you think, okay? That's righteousness. You change the way you think about people. You change the way you think about situations. You change how you feel about it. Okay? The gospel, which is the glad tidings of the kingdom of God soon to be set up, and subsequently also of Jesus the Messiah, the founder of this kingdom. After the death of Christ, the term compromises also the preaching of concerning Jesus Christ as having suffered death on the cross to produce eternal salvation for the men in the kingdom of God. The gospel, Jesus Christ, went to the cross died, rose three days later so that we could be washed like this young girl was who danced today. Okay? Washed in the blood. Faith. The conviction... I love that. The conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ and a strong and welcome, welcome conviction or belief that Jesus the Messiah is the Messiah through whom we ter- obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Respect for God and a conviction about you that he exists. That's the tools that you need. Okay, it's all about your thought process. It's all about your feelings. It's how you act based on them that will arm you with the ability to overcome the enemy. Salvation, the sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummated and eternal kingdom of God. Fourfold salvation saved from the penalty, the power, the presence, and most importantly, the pleasure of sin. Ouch, ouch, saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from the presence of sin, and saved from the, I love this one, especially for young people, the pleasure of sin. Because a lot of times they don't, they, they don't realize that that's how the devil works. He makes it look appealing. He makes it look fun. He makes it look like something that is pleasurable. But it's sin nonetheless. That is what your salvation means. And then the Word of God. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't, ha- I didn't have to find any, any words to add to the Word of God. There is nothing that you can add. There is nothing you can take away. The Word of God is the Word of God. Those are the tools, people, that you have in your arsenal to fight this spiritual warfare, to fight these demons that want to run up and down these pews, touching you, whispering in your ear, having you believe and fall into the pleasure and the power of sin. You have the tools. It's a mindset. It's a way to think. It's a way to feel. It's a way to act. Okay? But one of the most important things that I took away from this scripture, which it is all very important, but the thing that I took away from this, praying at all times in the Spirit. Listen to that closely because I think we all fall short. Myself, I I will be the first one to say it. Praying at all times in the spirit. Okay, all times. Not when it suits. Not when things get bad and you feel like, oh, Lord, let me go to the Lord in prayer now. Because I have messed up big time. Mm -mm. Not when crisis hits, but at all times. At all times. That is one thing that I can say that I love about this church. It is a praying Church, I know that the people here pray. When I texted Pastor Ken the other day and said, Can you please add Ken into the prayer list? He's very sick. I had confidence that it was going to get done. And we pray. We pray a lot. We pray over the blessings. We pray for Thanksgiving. We pray in good times and in bad. But according to the scripture, that's not even enough because it's all times, in all times. Okay, now I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. I'm, I'm getting ready to close so if my Holy Spirit girls can go ahead and, and start getting in place. Um, Romans eight twenty six through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Yeah, you can come in. Y'all come in. Go ahead. Um, if we're truly going to defeat the enemy, okay, if we're truly going to not allow him to use us like the snakes in the garden, we have to ensure that we keep on our entire armor, Megan, if you can go ahead and lift this out of the way too for me. Uh, We have to use the tools that God has provided to us, and that is why it's important for you to seek and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit.